I told a joke at the prayer meeting this morning. Is that allowed? I told jokes at the prayer meeting before we prayed. We did pray, but I shared how um, I'm think I'll share it as I did at the prayer meeting because we were there, Judith and Joe and Sandy, and so I said, "The rapture's happened. We're up in heaven, and um, Sandy and I are." Uh, we're each being led by an angel. We're going to get to the homes that God's given us, you know. And um, and the angel says to me, "There it is." And it's a, you know, it's nice, but a bit small, a bit you know, just you know, it's comfortable. And I said, "Oh, that's nice." And he goes to Sandy, angel, and there's yours. And I turn around, and there's a three-story mansion with pool at the back and plenty of room. I'm like. I said to Andrew, you know, I, I realized I was a preacher, you know, and I did a lot of preaching and, and a lot of sharing. And get this. they said, yeah, well, the truth is, when you preached, people went to sleep. And um, so this is sort of, well, what is that? And I say, but Sandy didn't preach. He's not a preacher. He goes, yeah, but Sandy would drive people to the meeting. He would take, she would go and pick this person up. She'd pick that person up. She'd pick that person up. And she would drive them to the meetings. And when she drove, they prayed. <laughs> Next. <laughs> You're welcome to take that and just put whoever family member you need to into that you know, when you're sharing. All right, turn with me to the book of Mark, please. Some people are still thinking. Oh. You say, I've, I've, I've got an Uber driver that was going to get a big mansion. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Mark, oh, sorry, Mark chapter 9, if I haven't given you the chapter. Mark chapter 9. Just really felt, Lord, we've um, been covering the same story over the last three times I've shared but from the three different perspectives of Luke, Matthew, but we never shared from Mark. And um, and in one sense, I think we've left the best to last because Mark gives some details that are just different. You know, they, they, he goes into this. Like Luke just gives minimum amount. Matthew shares a bit more. But Mark shares a little bit more about this story. And I just really feel that there's some key things in here I just want to share with you because we can learn from what the disciples were taught by Jesus when they fit, hit a situation where they couldn't get the answer to prayer. They could not deliver a boy. They could not set him free. And they asked this amazing question at the end when, when they got with Jesus in private. Um, so if you look at Mark chapter 9 and verse 28, it says, When he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not cast it out? You know, what an amazing opportunity. Why couldn't we get it done? Why couldn't we get it done in this situation? And as we've talked over the last couple of messages that I've shared, um, I really appreciate he was not saying, why couldn't the boy get healed? They were saying, why couldn't we do it? And sometimes, you know, there's a subtle difference there. Sometimes when I ask, why couldn't I heal someone? I'm often wondering the Lord say, why couldn't they get their healing? Whereas the Lord sort of, their question actually is, why couldn't I get them over the line in their healing? 
It's a different question. And, um, and I, you know, I appreciate it. Sometimes we desperately want to know things, especially when other people are involved. You know, when someone isn't able to get a breakthrough, we say, Lord, why aren't they allowed? Why, why couldn't they get their breakthrough? Why can't they get their breakthrough? And, um, you know, you know I, 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 sometimes I seriously think that the Lord has, his, you know, the standard answers, you know, like he says, when, you, when you're asking why couldn't they get their healing, why couldn't they get their breakthrough, Lord, why did they go through that? You know, the Lord will answer genuine questions, but I think there is the, hev- the, the answer that comes from heaven sometimes, the none of your business answer. I don't know whether you've ever got that. Have you ever been told by the Lord, none of your business? Um, I will talk to them about it, but what, you know, what's it to do with you? And I'm like, well, yeah, Lord, you know, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> You know, why did that preacher, why did that preacher not get their breakthrough? Lord, why did that person that I was praying for not get their, their deliverance? So, and it's like, you know, I, I really want to know. And the Lord's like, yeah, I know you do. It's, but I'm not going to tell you. It's none of your business. And um, sometimes we just think uh, we have access to God's knowledge and he will tell us everything. But to be honest, there are things that's just none of your business. The question is not why could they not get their healing question is why could you not bring someone into the healing ask that question you say well that's a little bit more personal (laughs) yeah i'd rather find out why they couldn't get their healing (laughs) as opposed to why i couldn't do the healing do you understand this you know there's um um and it's um remember when jesus had risen from the dead and he's talking to the disciples and he's talking to one disciple, and then the other disciples all come along, you know, what did you say? <laughs> what did you mean? What did you do? And he's like, what's it to you? <laughs> what's it to you? If I want him to live forever till I come back, that's up to me. And they said a rumor went around that that disciple would live forever because they, someone sort of half heard that and said, Jesus said he's going to live forever. But actually what he was saying to them is, mind your own business. It's not about what I said to him. It's what I'm saying to you. It's what I'm saying to you. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know, we've just celebrated 12 months of, um, uh, well, celebrated, so there's been an anniversary of 12 months since Shane Warne passed away. And the question could be, did Shane, you know, what happened to Shane Warne when he died? Did, would he have gone to heaven? Which I, you know, that's, and they're, they're good questions. But you know what a better question is? What will happen to you? <laughs> When you die, <laughs> that's probably the biggest question. You know, will, um, will Donald Trump go to heaven when he dies? <laughs> I'm like, no, I wasn't actually looking for an answer there, Madeline, but, but I'm sure he's glad at how our resident American was. She, she knows. There was a danger. I said Donald Trump, and she'd be walking around with a flag, you know, an <laughs> American flag. And um, but I'm just saying, uh, well, question isn't so much about them; it's about you. That's a bigger question that you need to answer. And sometimes we like to ask questions about everybody else because we're curious, we're wondering, we want to know. And um, and and it comes. You know, remember. The, Job, when he questioned God, amazing book, and God didn't come back and say, well, let me give you the answer. He just said, Job, 
can you run the universe like I run the universe? Because it's a pretty big, you know, in order to understand that answer, you have to be able to be in this position. And unless you can run the universe, you're really not going to understand the intricacies of that particular question answer. So sometimes we want to know, but I'm not saying you can't ask questions, and I'm not saying, you know, every time you ask God, he's like, you know, none of your business. He, he, he really does want to uh, answer questions, but you've got to ask the right question. All right? And Lord, you know, how can that person get better? Is, you know, not as good as the question that, Lord, how can I get better? That question the Lord is wanting to answer more. That's the one he can really flow in. And so it's an, this is why I'm excited by this, because they said, why could we not do this? And so let me just back up a little bit to show you what they couldn't do. Verse 14, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large... So this Jesus and a few of the disciples have come back to all the other disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. So Jesus comes back and it's all happening. There's big arguments. There's the scribes, the Pharisees, they're, they're all arguing with his disciples. He's like... What have I come back to? <laughs> I leave you alone for 24 hours. And what has happened? Can you imagine him sort of feel, that sort of feeling? It's just, and he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, stiffens out. And I told your disciples, told, not asked, I told your disciples, cast it out. And they could not do it. Wow. Here's the bus. Throw them under. And he answered. So Jesus answered them and said, Oh, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And if you want to understand why he said that, just go back on our website a couple of weeks ago, the first week where I shared from this verse. That was the passage that we were focusing on. This part, though, wasn't in book of Luke, which we focus on, this is the description of how the, the he healing happened. And they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. All right, just put yourself in the position, try and understand, try and imagine that you are the preacher, you are Jesus, you are the, you, you've come down, what a mess! He's frustrated with everybody. The boy comes, he just immediately begins to convulse, he begins to manifest the, 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 the demonic spirit that's, that's causing the physical problems, sees Jesus and realizes, we're in trouble. They just throw the boy into a huge um, fit. Jesus sees it. Now, if I'm Jesus, what do I do? Deal with it straight away. Get me like, the boy's having a fit. A child is having a fit. And it says, he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Isn't that the question you ask after you've done the healing? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is the point where I take Jesus by the elbow over to the side and give him some coaching. Because obviously he just doesn't get some of this stuff. Twice have I had to coach him. First of all, don't be so harsh on people. A couple of weeks ago, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be, how shall I put up with Take him to the side. You can't talk to people like that. That's just not how we do it. Do you know what I mean? Haven't you heard of the snowflake generation? They're all going to melt under that type of heat. You can't, you know, listen, you light a candle of discipline and they all melt. 
you know what I mean? You've got to be gentle with people. You've got to give them affirmation. You've got to give them a gold medal. doesn't matter whether they've won anything or not. All right, you've got to... You just tell them how amazing they are and they all tried the best and go for it. You just all... Of, who wins? You all win! And he's like, you, you know nothing. And go back to, like I said, a couple of weeks, why he said what he did. So, I've already taken Jesus over to the side once. Now the boy starts to convulse and Jesus starts a conversation with the father. Over we go again. You cannot leave a boy having a fit while you enter into some sort of conversation with the father. So hard to get God to do it right. Um, Have you ever been in a situation where you are show you have a level of expertise? All right. Um, let, let's see, I see Winston. Well, great to have Winston back with us. Okay, Winston is a sound engineer, and um, he knows sound. All right, he knows engineering. How's that for a description of his job? <laughs> he works in TV studios, you know, where they've got thousands of knobs and stuff like that making everything just right. Winston, I don't know whether you've ever had the armchair expert step behind you. <laughs> I'm bringing up some <sighs> angst here. I think if you slid that one over, or maybe you should turn that dial. What would happen if we gave a bit more reverb in you? And, you know, can you understand there's a, like, You know nothing compared with what I know. I know what I'm doing. Well, that spirit, I think, would be on Jesus if I took him to the side and said, what are you doing? The boy's having a fit. The obvious answer is to heal him. But it's like telling an expert how to go about something. And it should be like, that's not how I would do it. So this is a learning moment, not a I'm going to tell him what he did wrong moment. This is, Winston, what you want is someone to go and say, how come you haven't put the reverb up? Not you should put the reverb up. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the difference? All right. And um, too often, we're like, this is how it ought to happen. We've got it in our mind. We've got it fixed in our thinking. Do you remember there was a story of um, the the... The ruler, so he, he was um, a general in the army, I think he was. Someone can give me the name. And, and he, he had leprosy. Naaman. Naaman the, and um, so this is in the Old Testament. It's a story. Naaman, he was a king. Uh, sorry, not a king. He was a, 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 a military leader in a nation that wasn't Israel. And he had leprosy. And his servant girl said, there's a prophet in Israel. If you would go to him, he would heal you. So he went to Israel, and he was eventually directed to the prophet. I'm just trying to, Elijah, Elisha, with the S, Elisha. Okay, I'm just, I'm pre, you know, you're preaching with me today. You're doing good. <laughs> so, Elisha. So, Elisha sends his servant out to tell Naaman how to get healed, and says, 
go down into the River Jordan and dip yourself in seven times and you'll be healed. Um, you know, I've heard this sermon called The Seven Ducks in a Muddy River. And um, Naaman is like, he is a highly offended because he said, what I expected was that the man of God would come out himself, you know, wave his arm around, speak, you know, flash of lightning, a bolt of lightning on this side, a thunder, smoke, suddenly my leprosy would, in flames, disappear off my body and I'd be healed. And he said, instead he sends me some servant, he doesn't even give me, the, doesn't come out himself, and he sends me down to the, this river, he said, this muddy little creek, he said, we've got rivers better than where I come from. Why do I have to come here to do this? And he's highly offended, but then his aides come to him and say, hey, you know what? You know, if he'd asked you to do some great task, you probably would have done it. If he just asked you to do something simple, why not just do it? You've come all this way, just why don't you do it? And of course, he goes down, dips in seven times, and he's healed. But how many times are we not healed because we're offended about how it's been presented? Because we imagine what it should be like. We're too busy being the expert and telling God how to change all the dials instead of realizing, whoa, you're the expert here. What are you doing? So let's just stop and, and look at this for a little second. Why does Jesus stop and not just heal the boy? And if we stop being offended at the way he's doing it and instead come and say, can you show me? Why did you do that? You might learn something. And when you learn something, then you can understand better why you can't get the breakthroughs that you're looking for. So they brought the boy to him, verse 20. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, oh, from childhood. And he said, it's often thrown him both into the fire and into the water, destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. To many people, that is the model prayer. He's like, done the, the Father has done exactly the right thing. If you can do anything, Lord, take pity on us and help us. What a humble, um, pleading fatherly thing to do. It's amazing. And a lot of people, well, they, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's, that's good. But Jesus takes exception at it. He, says, he, he, he corrects him. He says, Jesus said, if you can, if you can. Oh, um, he said, well, I, I said, if you can do anything, take pity. If you can. What's this if? What's this if? And again, it's like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> okay, Jesus, he just, you know, he might have got his words a little bit mixed up. He might not have said it exactly the way you wanted him to say it. You know what I mean? He's just trying his best. He's just trying to, he's just trying to get his son healed. Why, why don't we just forget the father and just heal the boy? And Jesus is like, I want to talk to the dad. What do you mean if? What do you mean if? What do you mean if? Can you mean, uh, um, well, if. It's a word, two letters, um, means maybe, on condition of something. 
Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. So he took exception at the if statement because it wasn't a faith statement. Immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. So eventually Jesus says, ah, oh, begins with, can you get the sense, Jesus has, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have healed the boy straight away if the crowd hadn't gathered. He's like, I would have kept this going. I would have, I would have kept this conversation going. It's just like, uh, okay, well, let's just deal with this. He was more interested in exposing the father's attitude and correcting that than he was, we can sort this out, but here, I can fix this. this he's, I see Jesus like a master surgeon. Whereas I, I'd be just, I'm like, I'm like trying to take a, you know, walk off with a chainsaw, you know. I'm just, just go in. Some people now are going to, oh, don't come to him for small problems. Jesus is like a surgeon, able to deal with things without damaging, keeping things just right. It's like he's working this, working this. None of the disciples haven't picked up on this. Do you see that? The disciples are trying to get the boy healed and haven't worked out that there's a blockage in the father. Because the father came. He asked us to get healed. You know, he told us, heal the boy. But when Jesus probes, he finds that there's a significant problem in the way the father is coming. He's saying, if you can help, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He saw this as a, hey, if I can get enough sympathy, maybe you can do something in this situation. And Jesus says, that's not the issue. The issue is not whether I, I, I feel enough for you, I have enough empathy for you, enough compassion for you. Sometimes I, I hear this in people's prayers, and I guard as best as I can my own prayers, trying to convince God how serious the situation is, how long it's gone on, how much it's costing, how much I could be doing for the kingdom of God if I was raised up. You know, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to build a case here. I'm trying to say, God, this is so tough. This is, and it's like, what, what, and God's like, it's as if I've got to be convinced, oh, this is a serious one. We better do something here. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, it's as if there's a, there's just a, a, a level. Once it gets above that level, action happens. And we're just trying to, oh, God. This is part of why, you know, sometimes people, you know, if they're praying for someone who's, you say, like, this is a good person, God. You know, I don't understand. This is a good person. This is like, God, you know, if that was a lousy person, I can understand why they're sick. This is a good person. So we should be able to get the healing through easier and quickly because they're good. I like them. You know, and when we have all these scales, if they're young, God should heal them quicker. Have you picked that up? Babies, because they're so innocent and young, should get 
healed quicker. And if they're young, oh, Lord, they're so young. They've got so much of their life to live. Heal them. And just goes, oh, yeah, you're old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm not going to waste a healing on an old person. <laughs> Is that what God's like? You know, like, oh, I've got a dozen healings today. Sorry, 12 young kids are needing healing. Going to prioritize it. I said, you know, do you want to understand? Now, I'm just saying some of the reasons we give are because we're trying to build a case to say how urgent it is. God, they've only been given so much time. God, you know, yeah, they're all good things, but that's not why God's going to heal. He's going to heal. Oh, God, if you can, have pity, have mercy. God, if you've got some compassion in you, you'll do something in this situation. And God's like, it's nothing to do with how much compassion I have. You know, he did, he's moved with compassion. He has compassion. Jesus saw the multitudes and it says he was moved with compassion. There's a, there's a, a phrase in the Greek that's like, from his innermost being, you know, it's oh, wrenched from the inside. He feels it. But I'll tell you how much compassion he has. He left heaven to come to the earth to be hung on a cross. That's how much compassion he has for us. Compassion, he's got enough compassion. Compassion isn't the deciding factor. And so he comes and is, if you can, if you can do anything, take pity on us. And Jesus, if you can, now this is where things go a little bit different direction as well to me. I have been guilty in the past of trying to... Um, Limit people's expectations sometimes. Don't get your hopes too high. You know, there's reasons why. There's reasons why it won't happen. Jesus goes the opposite. Jesus goes the opposite. He did not manage his expectations and prepare him for possible failure. He said anything's possible if you believe. All things are possible if you believe. It's like, I remember this was one of the first things that, that really... Um, confronted me when I, I stepped into the walk of faith. You know, I'd been a Christian, and um, I think I was I was married by this stage. So Christine had introduced me, and the family had helped me come into some teaching. And I'd heard of Kenneth Copeland, I'd heard of others, but really, as I got to know Christine and the family, I got more introduced to to people like Jerry Seville and and you know um, Kenneth Copeland, and then others through that. So men of God of faith and who preached the word of faith, and it was confronting some of my mindsets and was challenging some of my um, beliefs. And I'm, I'm trying to work out, are they my beliefs or are they the Bible beliefs? Because I thought all my beliefs were Bible beliefs. I don't know if we've ever been through that stage where, you know, I believe what the Bible says, and then I find out that Jesus is talking different to me. And it's like, has he not had the revelation like I have? <laughs> Again, taken by the arm. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Got to fix your thinking in this one. This is not how we talk in here. And... Um, so I was particularly confronted, and this was one of the moments of the breaking. You know, there's a few of them. The woman with the, um, the issue of blood, the, the um, Syrophoenician woman who was trying to get her daughter healed, this scripture, and the one where Peter was walking on, uh, in the boat in the storm and Jesus comes walking on the water. And Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come. And I suddenly had this revelation. If I was Jesus, I would tell him, what in the world do you think you're doing, Peter, asking to come out here? 
I'm trying to get, you, you don't need to be on the water. There's no need to be on the water. There's no, there's no non-Christians even out here to, you know, this miracle is going to do nothing except you're just doing a miracle. Miracles are not to be thrown around and used without a good reason and a purpose. You know, miracles are for people to get saved and healed and, and delivered. Miracles are for God to be, this is, this is just you wanting to be special. And I'm like, tell him off, Jesus. Tell him off. Come on, put him in his place. Tell him that this is just so wrong because I'm the good boy who just sits in the boat. I don't go and say, I want to walk on the water. If Jesus walk on the water, it's fine, but I'm in the boat. I'm a good disciple. So tell him, and Jesus says, come. And I'm like, that is not putting him in his place. That's just going to encourage him. It's just encouraging him. And I realized I was thinking different to Jesus. So different. I was so annoyed that Jesus would just tell him, come. Why? Why tell him to come? But when I'm angry and when I'm offended, I hear and I learn nothing. Until you get to that point and say, Jesus, help me. Why am I thinking so different to you? Why am I looking? And I'm so, sm and he's like, you're so small-minded. And you're as if, he said, I love it when people want to do things like this. I love it. He said, look through everybody who came to me wanting something. I, I responded. I didn't tell them off. I didn't say, oh, you might get your hopes up too. I, he loves it when our hopes are high. Yeah, this is a situation, he says, all things. He, he's, he wants the Father to increase his expectation. He wants him to believe more. He wants him to, to ask for more. And um, it's the Pharisee, it's the legalism that wants to close things in to make God very limited and small and try to, to make things narrow. And God's just trying to get us into his freedom. Now, I know that there's a narrow door into that freedom. You know, narrow is the door but the door is into a place where there is a lot of freedom. Um, it's, it's, it's a narrow... Have anyone ever seen a fly, um, an insect trap, a fly trap? Did anyone have one as a child? It's like a container and a, and a lid, with a little tube at the top with a big funnel. And you put something really good in there, some sort of something that flies and whatever, love, you know, a bit of rotten meat or something. Flies are like, where is that? and they fly over, and they come in. But the amazing thing about a fly trap is there's, no, there's no, no door to stop it. Once you're in, you can just come back out the same way. There is no restriction. The only problem is that the way to get out is right in the middle, away from the big, wide, open, round glass closure. And the flies never restrict themselves to that little middle bit. They just keep trying to get out. But if they would just take that little narrow pathway, they would find they're in a world bigger than they could ever know. And if we will just restrict ourselves to Jesus and the kingdom, people say, oh, how restrictive. You get in that place and it's the most wide open place ever. Yeah, you've got to do it his way. But when you do it his way, he says, believe me for anything. Believe me for anything. 
five times or four times Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, it'll be done for you. Ask anything in my name, it'll be done for you. And I'm like, Jesus, can't you put some limits on that? Yeah, he said, well, I did. I, I said, you know, um, let me just quote it accurately. If you, um, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And it says, um, in, um, if you abide in me, verse, this is John 15, 17, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you want. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's the narrow part. All right? But it's not a narrowness to reduce what you can do. It's a narrowness to get you into the wide spaces that God wants. And he is a God who just wants us to increase our expectation and our hopes. And that's what he was trying to do with the Father. If I can, if, how narrow is your view of who I am and what I can do? If, if, if you just have faith, all things are possible. So it's not all things were possible for everybody and everything. He says, if you will have faith. If you will have faith. If you will have faith. If you will just believe and trust in me. And that's why we said, um, remember in the book of Matthew, and you can go back a couple of weeks and see what I shared then. When they, in the book of Matthew, he says, why could we not do this? He said, because of the littleness of your faith. Um, and what he was saying was, you need to have growing faith. You need to have faith that is developing and growing because that faith can get it done. That faith can get it done. All right. I'm going to share one last thing. Ignore all my notes. I've got lots more things. But if I shared them all, you might take me by the elbow and say, Good to have lots of things to say, but you don't have to say them all at one time. Okay, that's fair enough. I'd take that advice. I want to share one last thing. Jesus said to him, verse 23, uh, if you think all things are possible, um, immediately the boy's father cried out and began to say, I do believe, help my unbelief. I always thought that's the dumbest statement ever. I do believe, but I'm unbelieving. Well, which is it? Are you believing or not believing? Come on, that's just stupid. But go back and listen to my message, the last message where I looked, said, it's not buttons, it's sliders. Yeah, okay, you know. I, I believe, but I've still got a fair bit of unbelief. I do believe, but I'm still unbelieving. Yeah, you need to be able to push all the sliders. It's not just, you know, it's not just, I do believe, on. Be believing, but don't be fearing. You've got to dial the fear down. You've got to dial the faith up. Do believe. You've got, there's a whole lot. Anyway, go back. Listen to that. Here's another, that was another example of it. Um, verse 28. Um, when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not cast it out? I tend to, and I think this is a very Western mind sort of thing, uh, the, the, the culture and the way we think, the zeitgeist of the West, we're very individual in the way we do things. I've always looked at this as something for me to wrestle with and for me to ask God about. Why could I not cast it out? And I've sort of said that. Don't ask why they couldn't, ask why you couldn't. But they asked as a group. 
They made it a group exercise. It was the group getting help and the group getting an instruction and the group getting some, this is what you need to do. I always take this and say, that's good. Now I'll go back to myself and I'll just be me, 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 and I'll do it because I've got a very individual walk with God. And we all understand that. We, we, so we understand, hey, you can be amongst a group of people, but you need to believe yourself. You, know, you, can't, you can't, you know, you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to come to your own faith. You know, even as a family, I, I, I've always said God has no grandkids in his kingdom. You know what I mean? Every, everybody's got to come into their own relationship. Everyone else has got to become their own, have their own relationship. Everyone's got to be able to say, Father, not my... I don't want any of my kids to come and say, you are my dad's God. They're going to say, my God, my God. All right? I get that. It's got, it's got to be individual. You've all got to have your own relationship. You can't do it through me. That was one of the great things that, the great problems that the, um, you know, the, the church went into with... Um, the priesthood became the, 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 the mediator between you and God. Everything was between, you know, I, I, the great priest, would go to God for you, and you'd come to me, and I'd go to him, and we'd just do it that way. You know, you come to me, I'd give you forgiveness, I'd, you'd come to me. And in fact, the, the church would do all their services in Latin, even though none of the people could understand Latin. And then when they came, and you know, Whitcliffe and others wanted to translate the Bible into the common language, one of the arguments was, was That'll just create mayhem. The people don't know what to do with the Word of God. That's what the priest is there for. You've got to have training. You've got, we train the priest. That's why we do our services in Latin. Who knows what the people would do if they got it in their own language? And he says, well, I want everybody. I want the, I want the boy you know, pushing the plow to be able to read the Word himself. I want to, be able, I want to connect with people. And so the church for a while you know, sort of said, you know, let, let the priesthood cut, handle it. And you guys just don't do it. No, no. We all become priests. We all have kingship. We all, we all have a relationship. So I get that. But, you know, sometimes you take something and then you take it to the extreme and there's that personal responsibility and that personal relationship and that personal connection with God and I suddenly become everything to me is personal. And yet Jesus said they came to him as a group. They came to him as a group and said, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we get this done? What do we need to do? How do we do this? And he spoke to them, this is what you need to do as a group. Not as, a, not as individuals, but as a group. And this is one of the things we've discovered about discipleship, about following Jesus. It is a group activity. It was always designed to be done together. God never asked you to get all the answers and to deliver it all out and to do it all. He asked you to do it as a group. When you, when you can't get it done... It's why couldn't we get it done? Why couldn't we get this? Why couldn't we get this breakthrough? Why weren't we able to do this? Why weren't we able to press in and get that help for that person? Why couldn't we as a group get over the line in this situation? And, it's, that's, and that's, that's, I think, a healthy way to be living in the kingdom. How do we do this as a group? What do we do this? Don't try and be the lone disciple riding in fixing the problem and riding off in your white hole even a lone ranger had conflict we need to 
to be aware of this. And, um, and, I, and I'm trying to more and more change and, and see this and understand this is, this is God's way of doing it. Um, I'm trying to, to, to connect and, and sort of be a part more of that sort of relationship. And that's why as a church we have on purpose over the last few years given a very strong emphasis, let's connect together. Let's do things together. And, you know, and we gather on a Sunday together. But we didn't want to gather on Sundays and then see you next Sunday. Because, you know, that's good. Good, nice to see you next Sunday. But it's hard to do the how could we not get our faith over the line together <laughs> without being in a, in, a, in a smaller group and connecting. So we have on purpose helped people to, to get together, build relationships and grow together. One of the ways is we've set up... Um, life groups where we do life together where we become disciples together where we learn how to connect with other people and help them into their victories where we help they help us when we're going through a tough time it's just how life should be we actually have a life group for people that are perfect all right we don't advertise this. Can I just say, we don't advertise it. It's the, perf it's the perfect life group. All right? It's, oh, it's a, there's a, a hidden page on our website to sign up for the, the perfect. We have four other life groups, but we have a fifth one that you don't know about called It's for the Perfect People. The only trouble is you're not allowed to join because otherwise it wouldn't be perfect. <laughs> if you want the perfect life group, you know, it's like, like the guy who was looking for the perfect woman. And eventually he found her. But she was looking for the perfect man. <laughs> but thankfully I found her and she found me. <laughs> she, and she lowered her standard to say, you don't have to be perfect. I'll take her. Wow, wow, wow. Send that to Hallmark. They'll use it in their next movie. <laughs> 